This morning, and I, uh, Pastor Martin and I have the privilege of bringing you the Lord's Supper, and what an honor and a privilege it is to do this. I, I didn't really understand all that had to do with the Lord's Supper until I thoroughly studied it this week, and what, a, what an awesome study it has been. In Exodus, the Israelites are being delivered from Egypt, and at the end of the message today, we're going to participate in this communion that pastor spoke about if you've not received a cup this morning if you could just raise your hand an usher will bring those to you anyone not have a cup i think everybody you you guys did a great job today awesome right down front right down front matt very front row anybody else we're all good thank you for doing that we have open communion here at Christ Legacy Church. Anyone can partake of that. The only requirement is that you believe in the Lord Jesus. Amen. Just a reminder. As we present our message today, I want you to search your heart. Think on the words that we're speaking on today. Think about the things that are being said in Scripture today. Search your heart. Understand that believing in a Savior something mighty powerful in your life. I'd also ask that you may ask for forgiveness in your life. Maybe there's undealt with sin in your life that you need to deal with. So as we present these words, think about those things. So in John chapter 10, verse 15 through 18, as we read, this is Christ talking. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me. But I lay it down on my own initiative. Amen. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for what you have done. Thousands of years ago, Father, you had us on your mind. We praise you for your sacrifice. We praise you for laying your life down. We praise you for your authority. Lord, your body was beaten and broken for us. Your blood was shed for us. And today, we remember. We say thank you, Lord. Lord, you had us on your mind at Calvary. We praise you for that. We bless the name of the Lord today. We offer you praise. And all God's children said, Amen. 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 The term Passover was established in Exodus chapter 12. It commemorates the deliverance of the children from Egypt. Each family was to select a lamb. It was to be a spotless lamb. And this lamb was taken and sacrificed. The reason for all of this was to prevent death of their children, their firstborn children, not only their children, but also animals that were held within their families, their firstborn. 
Unlike the previous nine other plagues that Israel had been a part of and seen that Egypt had been persecuted underneath, this tenth plague, the Passover, was anointed by God and the children of Israel had to participate in this as well. Each family had to act on the warning about the first child being born, being taken. This was a demonstration when they participated in this. It was a demonstration of their faith about what God was about to do for the whole land. The lamb was to be roasted. It was to be eaten. And it was to be eaten with unleavened bread. This is unleavened bread. Bitter herbs were also to be served at this Passover supper. And they were to remind the people through this bitter herbs about the bitterness of slavery. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a national celebration. It was Israel's redemption from Egypt. The Passover and the Unleavened Bread Feast were so closely connected that the two were often thought they were just one feast. Unleavened Bread Feast was for seven days, the 15th through the 21st of the month. No bread with yeast was to be eaten. On the Passover or in the unleavened bread feast, homes were to be cleansed of this yeast that was producing bread. The yeast, it was a representation of sin within people's lives. The absence of the yeast suggested that those who were under the safety of the shed blood were free from the corruption of sin. The Feast of Unleavened Bread has a twofold purpose. First, it was to signify God bringing them out of the land of Egypt. And second, it was God taking them and leading them into the promised land. This might parallel also with salvation of today. Colossians 1.13 says, For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and He has transferred us to the kingdom of His dear Son. The union of the Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread can be seen in observance of the Last Supper. Christ breaks the bread and passes the bread And he passes the cup, the bread, the unleavened bread, the cup symbolizing the sacrificial lamb. Matthew 16, 6 says this. We see Jesus just days before the Last Supper. And he says to his disciples, he says, watch out. Watch out. Jesus is warning these disciples, watch out. Watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus is referring to this yeast, this leaven inside of bread, is the adverse sense when he used the word to describe the corrupt doctrine of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and of Herod. Like leaven works its way through dough. You see on the right here, or your left, there's dough there. When it was brought this morning, it was real small and it was thin. And as we're sitting here, it is rising. There's yeast inside of that bread. 
What Jesus is saying right here, he's saying, just like leaven works its way through this bread, the entire dough of the bread, the lump, its effects are being seen in the batch. Just like leaven is working into the ideas of the minds of the people of that day, it's infecting the entire people. The Pharisees' ideas, the Sadducees' ideas were gradually infiltrating the people's minds of the day. These ideas spread until they had penetrated and permeated every part of the people's thinking. Do you think that's like today? He's talking about thousands of years ago, but... Right here, he's talking about the ideas and the thoughts of things that are going on in our society are permeating and penetrating our minds. Leaven. Paul applied the same concept to moral corruption, warning that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He admonished his readers to clean out the old leaven Any evidence of leaven shows a regenerate life. The life of the Christian should be an unleavened bread life. Do you see the symbolism there? Pastor Martin says that when I speak, I get a little intense. I've learned over my life that I like some leavened bread. And it has a particular flavor. It's chocolate leavened bread. And you say, Pastor Dave, what is that? You've all heard of brownies. Someone brought me brownies this week. I was helping this lady with her phone, trying to make sure she could get onto our services on Facebook. And she brought me a big plate of unleavened chocolate bread. These brownies, no, Pastor, you didn't get any. You weren't here. You weren't here. Sorry. (laughs) You missed out. Now back to my message. The sacrifice of this lamb, the atonement of our sins was because of the sacrifice of the lamb. Pastor Martin's going to talk to you about blood being smeared on door frames. We're eating the sacrificial meat of the day. They were eating this meat to consecrate their homes, to consecrate the people, to consecrate a nation that consumed it. By participating in the Passover ritual, the people sanctified themselves as a nation holy to God. I think we need to be a nation that is holy presenting ourselves wholly to God. All the way back to Exodus, we see that the bones of the lamb that was presented for a sacrifice, the bones weren't broken. And in the New Testament, there's another sacrifice. Jesus. His bones were not broken. His blood was spilt, though. The bread that was made without yeast. Why? Why make it out of yeast? As I said, this bread takes time for it to rise and it's still not fully risen yet. 
If you go back and look at what was going on in the children's lives, they were headed out of Egypt. And when Pharaoh finally said, it's time to go, you don't wait. They've been under this rule for 430 years. When it's time to go, I think everybody would eat this, right? It's time to go. The Passover feast, the unleavened bread feast, was a lasting ordinance to God. Benefit forthcoming for generations. Here we sit about to consume this communion. Generations later, the Passover still speaking to us today. Amen. Amen. It was an ordinance. Together, the Passover and the unleavened bread were a feast, were an ordinance to be obeyed and a ceremony to be observed. That's what we're doing here today. Listen to the words of Christ. He says that I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Jesus says, whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for life of the world is my flesh. Here the Jews are, once again, confused. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. It's a repulsive thing in their minds. We're not cannibals here. But Jesus goes on and he says, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life. In this Greek, I was studying in the word eats, whoever eats my flesh. And I was looking at that word. The word eats is to chew, to gnaw. It's not just to consume, it's to chew and to gnaw. You ever heard someone say, hey, chew on this? And they're telling you to think about something. Think about what they're about to say. This is Christ saying, Think on the words that I'm telling you. Gnaw on what I'm about to say to you. And they were right. It is hard to chew on what Christ is trying to tell us. It's difficult to understand exactly what he's telling us. But church, it's not impossible to do. You have ears to hear. Hear Jesus say something like this. I am the source of life. But in the same way that you won't get full by eating this bread, by just looking at it, you have to consume it. The same way, you won't fully get to know who Christ is unless you're in this book. Consume it. Gnaw on it. Chew on it. Live it. It takes a daily feeding of this word for it to really get inside of us. If you'll allow me, this must be the air that you breathe. This must be the food that you drink and eat. You must learn to hunger for this like you hunger for this. Pastor Martin is going to discuss the second part of communion and it is the 
the wine or the, the blood. Thank you, Dave. It's been, a, it's been an interesting week working on this together and uh, asking the Lord to give us guidance for today. And uh, true to form, I have three points. You would expect nothing else, right? Right. You would expect nothing else. So let me share with you just three points real quickly, and then, then we'll take time to, to get into them. First of all, we're going to talk about the necessity of the blood. Okay? And, and then we'll discuss the new covenant in the blood. And then this last point, I shared it with my wife and my daughter the other day, and they said, where are you going with that? So the third point is the north star in the blood. Okay? So let's, let's talk, first of all, about the necessity of the blood. To begin the discussion, wine is used, or in our case, red grape juice. They put me a cup up here. I wasn't sure that there was going to be anything in it. Certainly there's not. I'm glad there is not. Spell it your world. But Jesus took a, a cup brim, brimming with red wine and held it up to them. And this, this red wine that he shared with them was symbolic of his own blood. And as we look at this, we must understand that when it comes to salvation, when it comes to being right with God, that there is an absolute necessity to apply the blood to our lives. Look at the book of Hebrews, if you will, chapter 9 and verse number 22, where the writer says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. So from the very beginning, it was absolutely necessary that the blood be shed so that the sins would be covered. Even in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, we find the original sin. Adam and Eve were created without sin. God had given them a way to live without sin, but he had put before them a choice. Just like he puts before all of us, he puts before us a choice. We choose, we choose life or we choose death. And so Satan came on the scene and wrapped himself around the situation, and, and, and when he did, he, uh, he tempted Eve and she took of the forbidden fruit and then she gave it to Adam, and when they realized that they were naked, they created for themselves crude aprons of fig leaves. And when they heard the Lord God come into the garden in the cool of the day, God began to call the name, Adam, Adam, where are you, Adam? And Adam and Eve, knowing their nakedness, and knowing that now they had broken that commandment that the Lord had given to them, hid themselves in the garden, and finally God searched them out, and he said, we didn't, we didn't want to come. We knew we were naked. And God said to them, who told you that you were naked? And so that transpires there, and, and Adam said, 
Eve tempted me and Eve turned and said it was the serpent. You know, it's, it's the good old American way, pass the buck. You know, one gave it to the other one, the other one gave it to, and they just passed it on down the line. Can't you see it come to the serpent? And the serpent says, well, it was. No, he was the last one in line. He was the last one there. So God pronounced the curses on the earth and the curses on on their lives because of the sin that was now in their lives. And God, in one way or another, said to them, these aprons of fig leaves are not good enough. Blood has to be shed to cover this original sin. We're not given a lot of details, but somewhere in this, It transpires that God took the first animal that died and killed it and skinned it and made them coats to cover their nakedness. Now, we're not told what that animal was, but I believe that it was a lamb. That God took the innocent lamb and he killed it and he spilled its blood. And he took the skin and he made them coats to cover their nakedness before he sent them outside of the garden. You see, scholars will show you that there is a trail of blood, both literal and physical, that goes through the scripture. Beginning here in the garden. And uh, then there's another place figuratively speaking, on the wall of Jericho in the house of Rahab that they told her that if you will leave this crimson cord hanging out of your window, when we come to take the city, you'll be safe. But only if this crimson cord dangles from your window. And that crimson cord was, was symbolic of, of, uh, of the blood. And then we go to that very first Passover as David has dealt with so adequately this morning. And they had to take a, take a lamb and, and hold that lamb and make sure that it was the perfect lamb. Make sure that it was flawless and that there were no blemishes, that there was nothing in the, in the body of the, or the person of that lamb that would mar it. And then on that given night, they were to, to slaughter that lamb and to catch the blood and to take those bitter herbs that, that Dave was talking about. The herbs symbolized the bitterness of, of their slavery all those years in Egypt. And they took the bitter herbs and they dipped it in this container of blood and splattered it on the sides of the doors and across the top of the door. And the the Lord God through Moses said to them, When I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. You know, we used to sing that song, Oh, great compassion. Oh, boundless love. When I see the blood, I will pass. I will pass over you. Exodus Chapter 12 tells us, chapter 12, verse number 14 tells us that in the same way that Jesus instituted the communion service that we are partaking of today, and he said to the apostles, whenever you eat the blood, 
And when you, whenever you eat the bread and whenever you drink the blood, remember me. Remember me. So on, on this time, in this first Passover, when God instituted, he said to them every year, you have an annual Passover feast. And you do this to look back and remember what I did for you. It's so important today that we in times like this, that it, it's so easy to get to the place to where we say, oh, we, you know, we take communion on a periodic basis. We do this because we're supposed to do this. And, 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 but we, we forget that what we're doing is remembering. Remembering that Jesus died. Had his body broken. Had his blood shed. And that today that blood is necessary for our salvation. The second thing is the New Testament in the blood. When Jesus was instituting the celebrating of communion service. Or as some call it, the Lord, and we do at times, the Lord's Supper. He held up the, the cup that was brimming with, with, with red wine. And he said, this is my blood of the New Testament. Now there was an Old Testament covenant. And they established that with the Passover. When that Passover first started, they were to do that every year. Because it was God's command. Do this and remember what I've done for you. Now they didn't always do that. They fell into backsliding. And in that backsliding, they failed to celebrate the, the Passover feast. But Jesus said to the apostles, every time you do this, remember, and this is the new covenant in my blood. Now he knew what he was doing. But they didn't know what he was doing. You know, Sometimes we look around and we, we say, Lord, what's going on here? How many times in the last six months have you said, what's going on here? What's happening? What, what's happening here? But Jesus said, it's a new covenant. It's a new covenant. It, it's something that's going to take place that's going to bring newness of life into your hearts and into your souls. He was doing a new thing and he was beginning it at that moment. The Old Covenant was remembered every year at the Passover, and the participants were reminded that they needed continually to shed blood because there was no sacrifice that was once for all. But in this New Covenant, Jesus was saying to them, here is a sacrifice that is once for everyone. I will allow my body to be broken. I will allow my blood to be shed. And that one time is good enough for everybody through all the generations. It's once for all. And today we are celebrating a sacrifice of a new covenant that took place 2,000 years ago, but it's still good enough today. It's still good enough today. Jesus was establishing this 
with the shedding of his blood. And he was saying to them, this is a better covenant. It's a better covenant. It doesn't require any annual sacrifice. It doesn't require any annual pilgrimage. What it does require is for us to confess our sins and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that he was raised from the dead. And Paul said, if we do that, we will be saved. So if we confess our sins, John says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there was the necessity of the blood. And then there is the new covenant in the blood. So now let's talk about the north star in the blood. Let me, let me read you something. Long before we had GPS units, satellites, and even a simple clock that w- could be relied upon to keep accurate time at sea on a rolling ship... Sailors learned to identify the stars and in, the, in the sky so they could, could use them to navigate out of sight from land. The most important star in that navigation was the North Star. Now the North Star is the last star in the handle of the Little Dipper. You know, you take the, you take the handle of the or you take the Big Dipper down in the cup and you, you follow it up and then you can find the last star in the handle of the Little Dipper and that's the North Star. You see, Paul tells us that there is a North Star in this new covenant. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 26, For as often as you eat this, this bread and drink this cup, You do show the Lord's death till he come. Till he come. You see, what Paul was saying is that when we take this this communion, the emblems of this communion, we do look back. We look back better than 2,000 years ago to the time when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood. We look back and remember and we are thankful For the sacrifice of Jesus. But at the same time Paul said. When we eat the bread. When we drink the cup. We show the Lord's death. And we remember. That he's coming again. He's coming again. Early in the 20th century. Herbert Buffum. And Robert Winsett. Composed the words and melody. Of a song that said. When Jesus returns for his own. And carries this up to his throne. There will be no more sadness. But all will be gladness. When Jesus returns for his own. And so today. As we celebrate. This communion. We do look back. We do look back. We do remember the past. And we are thankful for the past. But we look forward. Because Jesus. Is coming again. Are you glad? He's coming again. We live with that hope today. Because of the past. We have hope for the future. Jesus is coming again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
So as we bring this message to a conclusion this morning, we're going to take time to, to share with you some takeaways. I'm going to turn it back to Pastor Dave, let him give you his takeaways, and then I'll give you my takeaways. So the center bread here is sourdough bread. And I learned this week, and I'm 47 years old, and I just figured this out, so I'm not the brightest tool in the shed, but sourdough bread is different than the bread on the left there. The bread on the left has yeast in it. It's an additive to make it rise and make it fill. The bread on the right here, this is unleavened bread. It doesn't have any yeast in it, therefore it's flat. But sourdough bread, what's unique about that is that it sours. Did you know that? It ferments on its own, and then it starts to rise. Christ, in Matthew 13 and in Luke 13, there's two different accounts here. And he uses, for the first time and only time in Scripture, it talks about leaven, talks about that yeast And here he says, Christ, he used the concept of leaven as an effect upon the dough to allow it to rise. But he uses it here a little bit different, and he tells his disciples with a brief but a memorable parable. He says, wherein leaven illustrates a cumulative and a pervasive influence on the kingdom of God in the world. What he's saying is, is, the, the naturalness of leaven inside of people's lives, the God Spirit inside of people's lives can bring us revival. His Spirit, His love, His hope can work through an entire community, a society, a people. You've often heard about revival and it's that church over there is in revival or in that state over there there's revival happening in in those people's lives or the nation of whatever is is going through revival. Church, can I say what if to you this morning? What if the video you saw this morning where there was nation after nation after nation, those people are being representing that nation There is an underground revival happening right now. Can you say, I want to be a part of that revival that's going on right now? That's my first takeaway. My second takeaway is Jesus speaking of the bread of life in John 6. Just after Jesus feeds 5,000 people with what? Bread and, and fishes. Just after he does that, he goes and walks on the water. The next day, those same people that were fed by Jesus, the bread, they come to him asking him, how do you do these miracles, Jesus? How do you do these things that we've seen, these miraculous things? How do you make that happen? We want to know because we want to provide those miracles to people. And Jesus says, right before he tells them, he sa- they say to him, we want to see miracles like Moses did. A miracle of providing bread to the children. What does Jesus reply? He says, I am the bread of life. Amen. 
Whoever comes to me will never hunger again. Whoever believes in me will never thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. Church, are you believing in this Savior that we know? We need to be actively participating in this Christ. He goes on and says, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all of those who have given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day, for it is my Father's will that all who see His Son and believe in Him should have eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. Church, we're never going to hunger again if we're being fed by this. We're never going to hunger again. Our fallen nature tends to want us to, to love and feel loved, and that feeds us. Our fallen nature wants us to have material things, and that feeds us. Our fallen nature wants us to be accepted by others, and that feeds us. I believe here He's telling us to feed on this. It's going to fulfill you till eternity. You'll never have to hunger again. Martin's going to share his last two. First thing I want to share with you today as a takeaway is that the blood is absolutely necessary for salvation. I didn't know about what Pastor was saying about this pastor telling his minister of music, don't ever sing about the blood. But as a child, I know that I heard of those that were trying to take take blood away from this Christian religion. Now, not not in Pentecostal circles, but but in other uh, circles of Christianity, they, they didn't want this bloody religion. Let me tell you something, folks. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. It's absolutely necessary for our relationship with God. The second thing is the blood of Jesus established a better and an everlasting covenant. It's once for all. It never goes away. And it's available to whosoever will. Anyone who will call on the name of the Lord can be saved because this is a once for all sacrifice. The third thing is when we celebrate communion, we look toward a time when Jesus returns for those who who He has purchased with His blood. Now let me kind of tie this all together in a final conclusion I will tell you that in all of my experience and, and you know uh, compared to me Dave's a newbie Okay, I've been preaching now credentialed for about 54 years and in all of my experience I don't think I've heard a more complete discussion of the emblems of communion than what we did today Two of the major points that I picked up from what Dave was saying was the, the first of all, in that, in that Feast of Unleavened Bread, they searched the house to make sure that there was no yeast anywhere. When I was growing up, I was acquainted with a, a Jewish convert, a fellow by the name of Lee Krupnik. Now, some of you are old enough, you may have heard of Brother Krupnik, but most of you, I'm, I'm the old guy here. And, and But Lee Krupnik came to, to our church where I was 
just a boy and preached a revival and he talked about this feast of unleavened bread and he grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home and he said his mother and during that week said she would look at every cupboard. She would pull out every cup. She would clean away every plate. She would take everything out of the cabinet, every canned good, everything that was there to make sure that nowhere in the house was there any leaven. It was absolutely clean throughout their whole house. Let me tell you today, look through the whole house of your heart. That's right. Is there anything there? Is the leaven of sin? Is the leaven of ungodliness? Is it there anywhere? Clean out every cupboard. Open every door. Lift every lid and say, God, show me anything in my life that should not be there. The other thing is that I I really appreciated from Dave's presentation is you just don't have time to wait for the bread to rise. You got to be ready at a moment's notice. You don't. Now this bread is still rising. It's going to run over the side here in a minute. But we don't have time to do that. You see, during that first Passover, they said, "Eat it with your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, with your coat on." And the symbolism was, when the call comes, be ready to go. That's the symbolism today. When the call comes, when the trumpet sounds, be ready to go because Jesus is coming. And if you're not ready then, you'll be left behind. Finally, we need to remember that the blood is absolutely necessary. Can't get away from it. It's absolutely necessary. Now let me... Let me close with a story. Dave and I talked about this this week, and, and I, I called him later on, and I said, what if I, what if I end the message with that illustration? And he said, I, I think you ought to. He said, let's go for it. So when Janice and I were, were pastoring in Tahlequah 100 years ago, uh, I, I decided one night that one Thursday evening before Easter that I would walk down the street and join in what some of, some other Protestant faiths celebrate as what they call Monday Thursday. Okay, you, you may have never heard of Monday Thursday, but Monday Thursday uh, is the Christian Holy Day falling on Thursday before Easter. It commemorates the washing of the feet and the Last Supper of Jesus with the Apostles as described in the canonical Gospels. That's what Monday Thursday is. And there are, there are some of our brothers in non-Pentecostal churches especially that celebrate this Monday Thursday service and they do it every year. And then Good Friday is the next day and looking forward to, to Easter, Easter Sunday. So I thought, okay, I've never done this and, and I... I attended Ministerial Alliance with one of these brothers, and, and 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 his church was actually just three or four blocks down the street from where we lived. And so I got dressed that night, and I told Janice and the kids, I said, I'm going to walk down here to attend this Monday Thursday service. And so I walked down there, and I'd never been. I didn't know what was going on. I, I still really don't know everything about what's going on. 
But I walked in, and when I when I did, there was a fellow that I was acquainted with. He was the sports uh, uh, sports information director of Northeastern State University in Tahlequah, where I was pastoring. And and when I walked in, just a hair late, he and his family were seated down here, and he looked back and he saw me, and he said, "Come on, sit here, sit here by us, sit right here." And so I walked down and sat next to my friend and. and the service proceeded, and they did something in the service. I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but they did something. And I, his name was Doug, and I punched him. And I said, Doug, Doug, why do they do that? I don't know. So it went on for a little bit longer, and I said, Doug, why do they do that? I don't know. It shrugged. I don't know. And three or four times in the course of that service, Doug, I don't know. What we want is for you to not leave this place this morning and somebody say, why do you do that? And you don't know. We want you to know why we take unleavened bread. We want you to know why we drink the cup. We want you to know Jesus allowed His body to be broken. We want you to know that He allowed His blood to be spilt for your salvation. We want you to know why.